John 14, 14 to 27. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. If you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another counsellor to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. And then from John 15, 26 to 27. When the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. David. Okay. Excuse me. I am now. Just to... Thank you. That's, that's all my fault, not theirs. Thanks for what you do, boys, at the back. Um, I, as, as normal, just a little bit about my health, then you don't need to ask me. Um, I'm, not, I'm not huggable at the moment. I'm not very huggable, but I'm not into that kind of stuff. Um, but uh, if you've got a cold or a cough, don't shake my hand and walk away from me. That would be great. Is that all right? Thanks. Um, I've had two cycles of chemo. Uh, this is my fourth uh, uh, experience of chemotherapy. Uh, so I'm a bit of an expert. Uh, this is the second. I've had two cycles. The first, it's every fortnight. N- next Tuesday, I'll be, I'll be going in and they'll make me ill again for a week. Uh, but after about five or six days, I feel really grotty. And then I get better. So that by the end of the second week, like yesterday, before breakfast, we were on Van Vauer. Um, the, the day before, bef- before tea time, uh, I was on Penavan. 
A lovely night. It really was. The, 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 the wind dropped, the cloud cleared. It was crystal. And then the day before that, I was on the beacons as well. So by the end of the second week, things get back to normal. But the first week is rubbish. So there we are. Thank you for praying. Really grateful. I hope we don't know what the outcomes will be, but I'll be in heaven sooner or later, which is far better. Um, we, we've got these three weeks on, on the Spirit. Um, one of the problems is that this is a good weekend, right? This is my second Sunday. Next Sunday is my rubbish Sunday. Last week, I was sat at the back there, and I was kind of swaying, just feeling r- awful. And uh, so... If, and, uh, so if next Sunday I'm feeling like I might preach sat down, apparently John Pawson preaches sat down, um, and if I'm really, really bad, Pete Hodge says he's going to video me so that, that he, I'll be up there. <clears throat> Either way, that what I say this morning is half and next week just is to stand together. Three weeks on the spirit. And it's these verses about the helper. In John 14, John 16 as well, but we're looking at that next week. About, about this one who will come alongside us. And uh, it's really too important to miss. We've been through John's gospel and we don't want to miss this particular part out. Because often as Christians, we tend to leave it out. We, we believe in the Spirit, but a bit unsure as to how it all works. And we've heard the nutters, you know, the charismaniacs, um, and, uh, the, and you think, oh, I'm not sure about that. Uh, and, the, you know, it, it can all feel a little bit mysterious and, and weird and remote. And therefore, to all intents and purposes, we kind of manage without What Jesus says here is that that is an utterly stupid thing to do. That, see, looking at one extreme and then running in fear to the other extreme, it ain't a good way to live. And so Jesus is talking about the helper, the one he'd promised, enthused about. And if you were brought up on the authorised version, like I was very briefly, that's the old people, um, that you, that the idea of comforter is that's that's how it's translated in the old Bible. Um, the trouble is that that's Elizabethan English, and the word comforter has changed from then till now. It, it kind of carries the idea of a kind of comfort blanket. That the Holy Spirit is there, 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 never, never, David, pat, pat, and and that's not what Jesus is saying, right? That that that's not the idea at all. It, He's talking about the encourager who comes alongside me. It's the idea of an advocate, a counsellor, a resourceful friend who has come to live with me. The word is, is, is one called alongside to help me and enable me and support. It's the word that would be used almost of a counsel for the defence in a law court. Not just that, but the idea is a helpful one, that here I am in the dock, or defending myself, probably better, and there's this one who sidles up behind me and reminds me about what I've forgotten, 
and tells me the best way to say and then defends me if the counsel for the prosecution gets too aggressive. That there's something very practical and active in how he's operating. And Jesus just spoke about the Spirit in these practical ways as if it's something that we should expect to happen. That he, the Spirit, will help us positively and practically. Now, if Jesus had that expectation of the Spirit in my life, so should I. So I just want to open a, a, a vista of possibilities that might go a little bit beyond what we all, how we all live a lot of the time because we manage without. So first of all, who it is, who is it that Jesus sends alongside? Well, he says in verse 16 that he's going to send another comforter. Another. I, I know that your Greek's better than mine, but... There are two words for, for another in Greek. One of them is another that's completely different. But this word is not that word. This word is another of the same sort. So Jesus is saying that there's one coming who's just like him. I think Nicky Gumbel in Alpha talks about Jesus' other self. Close as that. And, and this one is coming as our advocate. Now, you will be familiar, if I read it to you, it'll ring a bell. John, 1 John 2, 1. My dear children, I write this to you so that, that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Remember? Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sin. Right? The one who's taken the consequences. Ah. We have an advocate. So Jesus' role, Jesus' advocacy role, is to the Father on our behalf. His advocacy is in heaven, speaking to the Father for us. And here Jesus says, he's going to send another comforter, another advocate, sorry, old word, another advocate, who will be here defending us. Jesus is defending us in heaven, and the Spirit of God is going to be around me being an advocate here. How good is that? So that's the first thing he says, that he's another like himself. And he comes from the Father. And I don't know if you noticed that in those verses that Bryn read, amazing, that the Father will come to me. And the Son will come to me. I mean, people that, people that don't believe in that there are three persons in one Godhead ought to read those verses. Because the, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are operating in tandem. There are three of them. And the Father and the Son is, are going to come to us in the Spirit. Wow! Whether the... The Spirit. Have you, have, you, you know, have you ever wondered? You probably haven't, Steve. Have you ever wondered? I'll pick on you. You sat there. It's not my fault. That, you know, they're, they're kind of Eastern Orthodox. Why, is, why are those Eastern Orthodox different from Western Orthodox? Well, because they disagreed over this. Isn't it amazing 
the nonsense that Christians can fall out of that. That, that nominal world Christianity is divided on whether the Spirit came from the... Well, something to do with the date of Easter. But essentially, it was this, the Philippi Clause. That, that did, the, did the Spirit come from the Father and the Father and the Son? And there's this big bust-up, and the Eastern Orthodox walked off and said, Oh, no, 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 only from the Father. That's it. That's world history. That's why the two are divided in half. I think it's quite helpful to read both verses, John 14 and John 15, 25 and 26, because it tells us, you know, on a big history, he comes from the Father by the, by the Son, and uh, therefore we're in the West. But, but who comes? Who comes? The third person in this Godhead comes. Both the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are called Lord. And one of them comes to me. Both the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are called holy. Jesus said there's none holy but God. Here we go. That one comes to me. Jesus said the Spirit is careful what you attribute to him because you can blaspheme him you can only blaspheme God that's the very nature of the word it's God who comes to me it's the executor of the trinity the operations manager of the trinity an emissary as one of the three in the Godhead that Jesus says he's going to come and be my helper. How extraordinary is that? Did you realize who was around you? There's a sense of awe here, isn't there? A, a need to honor the Spirit. Honor him. He's with the Father and the Son. There's an ontological unity between the three. It's the same being. God is come among you. God is with me. And Paul writes, isn't he, in Corinthians 3.16, don't you know that you are God's temple if you're a Christian? Don't you know that you are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you? You go to chapter 16, so you, if that's true, well, you're not your own. You're bought with a price. Glorify God with your body. And all the ethical things spin off that. But within me, around me, in me. Because in verse 17, he says, he's with you. But when the Spirit comes in Pentecost, after that, he's going to be in you. Available, around, and here. Not something distant and vague. Not some kind of remote, ethereal uncertainty. Not something either that kind of super saints have. You know, the kind of whiz bangs, Those that kind of live on a higher plane than us. No, no, Jesus doesn't talk in those terms at all. He talks about him that he's given, given you. He talks about when, not if. 
He isn't talking about the Holy Spirit as someone who came 200 years ago with Howell Harris and Daniel Rollins and John Wesley, and we kind of, he's not here and around here at the moment, let's hope he comes again. Not at all. He's talking about God being with us by the Spirit all the time. All the time. I, uh, as many of you know, I, I work with leaders church leaders and uh, I hear all the right words and I have this little phrase yeah I'm, I'm sure we have an orthodox doctrine of the spirit have I got an operational theology of the spirit does my theology of the spirit work when our daughter Joy was little she had a friend. Aitza was her friend. She talked to Aitza a lot. Nobody else did because nobody else could see her. Um, Aitza was always with joy, particularly in her bedroom. And sometimes when her bedroom was left in a total heap, you'd, and you'd say, well, um, goodness me, have you seen your bedroom? Oh, yes, Aitza must have been in. But, but kind of Aitza was Joy's imaginary friend, her invisible. The Spirit of God is not your imaginary friend. He's the one who hovered over creation and brought its shape. He's the one who appeared in the temple and the priests had to back off. He's the one who came to a virgin and caused the virgin to conceive, and they call the baby's name Jesus, that's the one who's with us. So secondly, how is he with us? Um, my Greek's not that good, please understand. It's not half as good as it used to be. But, but in Greek, there are three genders, masculine, feminine, and neuter. We generally only have the two, masculine and feminine in English. But in Greek, there are three. And what you do, you, you, you cow, I don't know what it is anyway, but stone would be neuter. And therefore, if you were talking about it, you'd use a neuter form of the pronoun. Are you still with me? So you kind of match the gender to the word. When Jesus is talking here, he contradicted that. Because every time he talked about this helper, he spoke, although the word spirit is a neuter word, when Jesus spoke about the spirit, he said, he, he, he. If I can write something into your theological memory bank, it's this. The spirit of God is no it. He is a person. And Jesus talked in those terms, second person of the Trinity. He's not an influence. He's not impersonal. He's not what the Mormons call a liquid. He's not some kind of impersonal power. I get really worried, I'm not worried, angry, when I, got to have the anointing. Oh, the anointing. Hang on, who are you talking about? Are you, are you talking to some kind of spiritual power pack? Or are you talking about a person? Because I don't use a person. He uses me. And Jesus talked in those personal terms 
of the Spirit. And we have relationships with a, with a person. Persons speak. Persons comfort. Persons convince us when we're wrong. Persons remind us of stuff. Reveal things. Communicate things to us. And, G- and as with the children's talk, that's exactly what the Spirit does. He relates to us as a person. There's a friendship with the Spirit. I'm pushing boundaries. There's an expectation in the teaching of Jesus that that will be the nature of our relationship with the Spirit. It's even more wonderful when you're full of the Spirit because the dimension then increases. And uh, if we'd read just before where Bryn started reading and he talks about greater works will you do because I'm going to the Father. Now, whether those greater works are a scope or greater because of the number involved or greater because of a sense of the miraculous, the, the greater works come because of the Spirit. That's how church is supposed to work. We're a people of the Spirit. We're a people who function together and the Spirit of God is right here. And he's not here kind of hiding himself. He's here to reveal and remind and communicate and make things clear to us. And it's a great challenge. That uh, Jack Deere was New Testament professor of a Reformed Theological College in the States. And uh, he encountered the Spirit. And he wrote two books, Surprised by the Power of God and Surprised by the Voice of God. Great books. But we might write that book too. I I, I had a disadvantage when I was first a Christian. I I wasn't a Christian before I was a Christian. So I I, I didn't understand any of it. I heard first and I was converted within a week. So after I was converted, I, I had a lot to learn. People told me that. I can't imagine why. And, uh, but th- there was this guy who, who discipled us and gathered a number, there were about 15 of us that were converted at the same time, and pulled us into his, he, he was the local grocer, and above the shop there was this big room, and he had the, after, the, the upper room fellowship, and we all used to go and open our Bibles and stuff. And one week, this doddery old pair, um, must have been in their eight, eight is a chap called Larry Packham came, and, uh, that, you know, I thought, what on earth? Because she looked, do you know, she's, as if she died 20 years ago. You know, those kind of people. She, just, just ancient, ancient. What, what on earth are these two? And they just began to talk about the work of the Spirit. And people that had been healed recently. And just the sense of the miraculous going on in there. They were amazing people, let me say. And I kind of sat there with my mouth on. I'd read the Acts of the Apostles by this time. And something clicked him. Oh, oh, this is like that. So that is possible now then. Do you know, I went out of that meeting. I said, God, until I know that, I'm not going to sleep tonight. I, I, I don't know how long I lasted. Do you know what I mean? Have you ever done that? Then you're going to meet with God and then you wake up in the morning uncomfortable. 
Nobody told me that this stuff still doesn't happen. I hadn't been briefed, like many of us have. So our expectations are down there. I heard somebody say that actually what's in the book is okay today. The Spirit of God hasn't changed from when he wrote that to what we, our expectations can be today. Time is gone. Let me just make one more point. The two I've made so far is that the Spirit of God, who Jesus has given to your life, if you're a Christian, is God. You have the Almighty following you around, if I may say that respectfully. And this Spirit is a person and will convey truth, remind truth, communicate to you. Let me illustrate. We were on holiday in North Wales some years ago. There's a friend here this morning who will probably remember this and laugh. Not Liz, she's my wife. <clears throat> and that uh, when we were on holiday, we, one of the elders we heard that his daughter Alison was seriously ill. She was a nurse down in Burgess Hill. She'd had an ectopic pregnancy. Everything had gone bad that could have gone bad, and there was uh, her vital organs were failing. They drove her in an ambulance from Burgess Hill up to the Middlesex Hospital at 20 miles an hour and closed every road off in order to get her there safely. And uh, so we came home and, I, and Liz, I let Liz unpack the car and look after the children and, and, and saw everything out while I went into the garden to pray. Uh, sometimes it needs to happen that way. It doesn't happen that way very often. But uh, that's what I did because... Just a sense of, dear God, what, what, what? And I'm walking in the garden, back of the house, and the Spirit of God spoke to me, go and pray with Alison, clear as that. Go and pray with Alison. Oh, oh, in the hospital. Go and pray with Alison. So I rang Gerald up, who was the elder, and said, "Mm, I think I need to go and pray with Alison. Do you know, have you got your most embarrassing moment? This is mine. Right? I'm not good with blood, okay? I once went to a, I, I once went to a lecture on, white, on red blood corpuscles and nearly passed out. Okay, I'm not good. I don't like nurses. Anyway, so I, I'm, I go into the ward and there's this woman with a pipe going into her throat. Blurp, blurp, And there's blood everywhere. I mean everywhere. Well, it looked like everywhere. I didn't see anything else. And uh, they were doing things to her. You know, there were wires and pipes and all that stuff going on. Doctors running around and the woman was dying. And so I had to sit down in this hot room and watch all of this. And I, I, I came round on the floor um, looking up to all of these doctors with their stethoscopes hanging down. So I felt a total idiot. And uh, after I kind of come round, uh, Jerry kind of said, David, I think we'd better go home. And something in my heart again said, you've got to pray for Alison. Spirit of God. So I said, no, no, not yet. 
And so he helped me to the bed. <laughs> and what the Spirit of God had put on my... Do you know, before we got home, the pipe was out and the woman was sat up talking. There was another young man who had aphylactic shock in France. And uh, this is not my normal way of operating, but the two were very close together and I felt the Lord say, go and pray for him. He's in a hospital in Brittany. I went to Heathrow to catch my jumbo. It wasn't a jumbo. It was a kind of biplane that the wings flap when you got on it. And uh, they wouldn't let me in at time. I only got in five minutes before I had to leave for the airplane to get the flight back. Before I got to the plane, the guy was sat up in bed asking whether Everton won on the football. And just that the Spirit of God speaking clearly doesn't happen all the time doesn't tell me what cereal to have for my breakfast but he, he does come alongside us and have things to say but why I'm going to unpack this next week more so but suffice to say this what does the Holy Spirit do what's all this for well, in verses in chapter 15, 26, and again in chapter 16, he's called the spirit of truth. When the spirit of truth comes. We've already heard in chapter 14, verse 6, that who is the truth? We know who the truth is. Jesus said, I am the way, the... And the spirit of God always draws us to Jesus. That's the deal. He's either pointing us to Jesus or in chapter verse 26 to what Jesus has said. This how they, 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 have you ever wondered how did they, how did they get, how did, could they actually quote what Jesus said? How did Luke know exactly what the words were? Well, no, you know. Because he reminds, brings back to memory the words of Jesus. And he takes us to Jesus. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher of, of the 19th century, had this phrase, very helpful. He said, I looked at the Son of God and the dove of peace landed on my soldier shoulder. I looked at the dove of peace and he flew away. The Spirit of God doesn't draw attention to himself. He draws attention to Jesus. Some of the crazy things, you know, about gold teeth and falling over and whatever else. When, if you want, a, a, you know, the hallmark of the work of the Spirit, is what's happening all about Jesus or is it all about the person at the front? And all that I'm going to experience, which is weird. Because if it's that, I think you have every ground to question whether this is genuine, the work of the Spirit. He reveals. He draws my heart after the Lord Jesus. He causes my heart to delight in what Jesus has done. He causes there to be a thrill and a, and, and a wonder at the cross and the resurrection and the splendor of Jesus now, the Spirit of God wants to clarify, remind. He doesn't give new truth. 
It isn't the, page, the white pages at the end of your Bible are not to write the new things down to add to what has already been said. He, he takes what's already been said and makes it real. He renews me, refreshes me. Whenever he comes, whatever he says, it will inevitably take my attention to Jesus. So we need to know him. We need to experience the Spirit of God. Being a Christian isn't just having doctrine and discipline and rule and religion straight. It's about encountering God for myself. And it's a great challenge. But this is how he first, this is how I became a Christian in the first place. He drew me to the Lord Jesus, the Spirit of God did. He showed me how serious my sin was and how much I needed to put my trust in Jesus. Every experience, every fresh insight, go back over all the years that you've known the Lord, every time the Lord has done something wonderful, it was the Spirit. We've never received anything from the Lord. It was the Spirit. It was He taking the things of Jesus and making them real to us, taking the words of Jesus and unveiling them to us. And he wants to bring us to Jesus. Are you coming? Are you coming? We're going to break bread now. I'm going to sing a song and then I'll pray and then bread will take over. But the whole point of this is that this is to be a place of encounter. It isn't just a memorial meal. It's a place where the Lord Jesus will come near to us and through the Spirit, and the Spirit of God will warm our hearts again, speak to us freshly again. Holy Spirit, we welcome you.